So we had, uh, we had membership classes before, just before COVID, and so Dave and Cheryl were in our membership class, I think the f- November of 2019. And so uh, I got distracted. <laughs> and so finally we're here to hear their testimony and uh, what's been going on, and lots been going on in their life, of course, as they've lost chickens, a barn, equipment, and a house during the flood, living on Tolmy. But I want to hear a bit about their spiritual history, and uh, we want to hear that, and then what's kind of going on currently with your, with your heart and your soul. Look forward to hearing from you. You want to go first? Okay, if you want to come here, that's helpful. Okay, I just wanted to say, first of all, that when, I, uh, when we walked into this church with our daughter, Julia and Jason Croker, <laughs> okay, um, the words that I saw in this church were right up here. It's worship, reach, grow and serve, leading people to love and follow Jesus. And that was just at that time, it was probably 2018 when we were here at first, and that was a place for me for rest, for rest for my spirit, and just, you guys were just amazing as far as welcoming uh, Dave and I into this church. So I'm gonna try to keep it together. So I have my notes here, so I'm reading them. I'm so thankful broad, for Broadway Church, especially your love and your warm fellowship. I grew up in Sumas Prairie on a family dairy farm. I'm the youngest of seven children and have been blessed with a legacy of Christian parents, Dan and Mary Schmidt. Uh, when I was in grade seven, my dad sold the dairy farm and we moved to Abbotsford where I went to MEI and then attended Briarcrest Bible College for two years. When I came back from Briarcrest, I attended Fraser Valley College and took an office careers program, and I worked at a local kitchen cabinet shop with Pete Peters. Dave and I were both involved in college and careers at Central Heights. We both spent a lot of time with each other, and we had a great friendship. Dave asked me out on March 16th, I believe it was 1985, and we were married on September 13th, 1986. Friday the 13th. In our (laughs) early years of marriage, we were both youth sponsors at Central Heights Church. Stepping forward a few years, we had an opportunity to get into poultry farming, and we will be celebrating 32 years of farming this summer. We have been blessed with four beautiful children. Our oldest daughter, Laura, she was engaged on March 1st, 2020 to Steven Seiler, and this is the, the best part. It was after Gary's message on wondering and waiting in the unknown. <laughs> so that was a couple years ago. Our son Kenny and Lizzie were married at Broadway Church in the summer of 2019. They both attended UBC together and now are living and working in Vancouver. Jason and Julia Croker both attended Broadway and they were a big influence in us coming to Broadway Church. Our youngest daughter, Sarah, is at home with us and presently is at UFE in the nursing program. And this morning, um, she asked me to drive her to um, Abbotsford Hospital because that's where she's working today. And it was just a time of praise for me to to be there and pray for all those workers were going in at seven o'clock to the hospital 
And then you, you see this in our church today that's happening and how prayer is so vitally important and just to really reaching out to God and, and who he is and that he is our God in these times. Um, some key events of people in my life and spiritual journey. Um, as a young child, I accepted Jesus into my heart with my mom. When I was only nine years old, my brother Len was tragically taken from us on a farm accident. The safe world that I had lived suddenly changed. It took many years to process loss and grief. I struggled in my high school years. I was always actively involved with church, youth group. When I was in grade 11, I went to Briarcrest Youthquake, where I rededicated my life to God. It was not easy, but I knew that I had the Holy Spirit as my helper. I was baptized when I was 16 years old, and I've been blessed with many good friends that walk with me continually with my walk in God. Thanks, Cheryl. Okay. I'm not quite finished. Okay. <laughs> I didn't see page two there, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, my spiritual journey since the flood, Gary asked us to talk a little bit about this. So I am forever grateful, thankful, and humbled by the prayers, helping hands, and support that Broadway has given to us and our family since the floodwaters that poured into our homes and farm on November 16th of last year. My spiritual journey has been very tough and is ongoing. When my brother Dave Schmidt called or texted me on November 16th and asked me at 5.35 p.m., are you underwater at the farm? My response was, Dave, it is rising. My husband Dave just got up here at Majuba Hill where we were staying from the farm and the water is lapping at the barn doors. We are done, but we have a great God and he is in control. So that was my text to him on November 16th. For such a time as this, I've heard that several times in this last couple of weeks, and this is the time in our journey to proclaim the good news of God's love to, for us, to be exactly where God wants us to be during these most difficult days. Each day I know that God is in control. He has given me the Holy Spirit as my helper. Prayer and feet on the ground and many helping hands to rebuild our home and farm has given Dave and I hope. A few verses that I continually hold on to are Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Also Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, and it's the King James Version. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is heaven. When we stayed on Majuba Hill after we were evacuated, Sarah, our daughter, and I would go for a walk every evening with our dog, Holly. We found a place that we could see our farm location and the lake below. We were excited when we saw our barn light that shone in the darkness. The barn, always, the barn light always reminded me of the importance of the light in the darkness and that God is in control. 
Thanks so much, Cheryl. Sit back and relax. We're going to be here for a while. <clears throat> um, no, it's, I'll, I'll go fast, Gary. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, that was uh, a bit about my bit about my faith journey. That's good, Gary. <laughs> a bit about my faith journey. Crunch, 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 the sound of snow beneath my feet as I walked along the train tracks in Holzbibrun, Sweden. It was late at night, it was dark, the stars were out, and I was walking alone along the train tracks by myself. I remember looking up at the stars, and it was a clear night, and there were thousands and thousands of stars, and I remember thinking, what a vast universe. This just didn't happen all by chance. Here I am, alone in the dark, thinking there's not a person on this planet that knows where I am right now. I could have gone anywhere, done anything, acted out in any way, but the God of the universe who put all those stars above me in place knows. He knows where I am. He loves, <clears throat> he loves me enough that if I were the only person on this planet, he would have sent his son for me. Bible school was a defining moment for me in my spiritual journey. <clears throat> Where I knew the Christian life was real. <clears throat> I could not live the Christian life on my own. And, and God never said that I could. So I've got to, I had to stop trying to do it on my own strength. A saying I learned at Bible school is, I can't but he can through me. I can't live the Christian life on my own, but he can. You see, I had grown up in a Christian home. Like many children, I accepted Jesus as a very young person. I don't remember dramatic experience, and I cannot remember whether it was my mother or father, but I remember praying, and it was likely probably my mother. In reality, um, like many of you, It, I probably viewed it as being fire insurance from going to hell. As a little kid, I didn't like the thought uh, of... <clears throat> Sorry, bear with me. I didn't like the thought of having to live in a burning house forever. And that was probably... I was probably more scared. As a child, I won't delve into it too much, <clears throat> other than that as a kid, I was a bit of a scrapper, strong-willed, determined... Later in life, my mother would tell me that um, she wondered where I'd be if I didn't know Jesus. But she always knew that when I went to bed at night, I would often sing the songs I learned in Sunday school as a small child, much like the kids here learn in our church. Um, back to Sweden. Through various events, um, I, came to believe, <clears throat> I came to believe in my head what I knew in my heart to be true. It was there I realized the Christian life was truth, real, and I was going to commit myself to that. There's a saying, do not doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. Um, and we've been through some dark times recently. Um, John, a verse that means a lot to me is John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke <clears throat> about the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever... <clears throat> 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will walk in the light. And Psalm 56, 3 and 4, kind of paraphrase goes, In God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. Things in my life that I've known and grown to be truth, do not fear. Um, we're not commanded to walk in fear. Another thing, God doesn't flinch. Nothing surprises him. And God has it all under control. Even when it seems like everything's falling apart, like our world is right now, God's not surprised by that. Why do I want to join Broadway Church? That's a good question. Initially, we came to Broadway to check it out because our children, Jason and Julia, attended here. When we came in the door, I was surprised by how friendly, welcoming, and greeting and smiling everyone was. Um, that was a definite attraction and something that um, I hadn't experienced for some time. Regarding our current situation, I cannot imagine <clears throat> I cannot imagine how we would have made it through the most recent events of our life without this body of believers standing with us, helping us, praying for us. You are the body of Christ. <laughs> and you have been a definition of what the church is supposed to be, and that's been demonstrated to us. Although I'm not much of a singer anymore, <clears throat> I know that if I were to sing again, I don't think I could ever sing the song, It Is Well With My Soul, without crying. Yeah, think about it. Sorry. I think about that. I think about that song. When sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Um... As a farmer, we are doers. We're used to seeing things happen, making them happen. We suck it up. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't feel comfortable feeling helpless and needing to rely on other people for help. But that's exactly where God wanted us to be. Back to Broadway. I want this to be our church home. We have many friends here and are getting to know more people, even through this pandemic. We are involved in a care group with James and Jackie. Um, other things that impressed me about Broadway, um, <clears throat> the financial stewardship that is demonstrated here, even in the pandemic, and how our fellow believers have all contributed money and continued to support this church. <clears throat> I'm thankful for um, the close, small church feel um, from the emails like we get from Joanne. I'm impressed that it's not perfectly proper, scripted down to the last minute, um, time blocks. Things just happen um, and it doesn't always have to be implied, <clears throat> completely planned. I'm impressed with Gary's teaching um, even though sometimes he wanders off some rabbit hole somewhere uh, in a different direction and I appreciate, I appreciate his passion for sports. <laughs> I appreciate that Gary like myself wear our hearts on our sleeve. And that's what more of the world needs to see. <clears throat> Why Broadway Church? 
what are we going to do here? I don't know at this moment um, how we're going to become involved, but I don't believe God calls you to a church without expecting you have some gift that can be used in that church. My mother always said, bloom where you're planted. Right now, we're extremely busy trying to re rebuild our life and our farm. Um, but I know in time, we hope to become more involved. And uh, I'm so thankful to be a part of this little church on the corner of Broadway and Maple. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, they'll be up front here after the service. You can uh, greet them and meet them. Just, uh, I just want to pray for you. Lord, we pray for Dave and Cheryl. You, yeah, it was awesome to show up that day and see 35, 40 people from Broadway clean the stuff out, how painful that was for Dave and Cheryl to see it put onto a pile. Lord, you have sustained them, and you continue to sustain them. That is... <clears throat> That is our hope. You are so much more than, a, as Dave said, a, an insurance policy. You are in our life now. We are working for the kingdom, and, and I thank you for their, their hearts. And continues to sustain them as they rebuild, as Dave said. And now he's got a mortgage till he's 87, <laughs> you know, when it was all kind of looking good with the farm. And, uh, yeah, we just ask you to sustain them and keep them going and bless them. Amen. Thank you. We're glad to have you as a member here. He has helped out on the work bees, you know, being a chicken farmer out there. A guy showed up with like 8,000 horsepower power washers. Um, <laughs> I mean, he could do like the sidewalk in three seconds. It was quite amazing. So we will be running slightly late today, um, which is totally fine. I've scrapped off a couple pages here. They were rabbit holes, actually. Um, <laughs> They were, I was going to talk about our government and about uh, Ukraine and the end times because people are asking, but I'll give you my opinion at another date. All I will say is we are one day closer, and I'm not writing a book about the end times in the Ukraine and Russia. There we go. So I want to wrap things up. This is my last Sunday for a while. I'm going away on a camping trip to San Diego with my lovely wife and looking forward to that. And so next week we have Joe Kraftchik and then CBC is coming to, to lead us in worship and Brian Bourne, their president, will be preaching. And the week after that, Jen Weeb, our children's pastor, will bring in the message to us. So I encourage you to keep coming and, uh, and encourage them. So we're looking at life lessons from nature. Um, I'm going back a bit to one of the sermons I did a while ago, but with some new verses. It's look out for the thorns, Matthew 6, 24 and 13, 22. If you remember... Jesus talked about different seed on different soils. He had seed on the path, seed on the rocky soil, and then the seed among the thorns. And his, this is his warning to us. Life's riches, life's worries, and life's pleasures will choke out the kingdom of God in life, will choke out spiritual things. Spiritual issues will not become the priorities when you let life's riches, worries, and pleasures be something that you seek after. You need to seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of happiness and personal, personal gain. So what are the weeds that get sown into our hearts? We need to get back to that because I've been thinking about this and, I, and we need to delve more. What, what does it mean 
for you and I to have the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth or riches, or the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. How does that relate to us today? First thing I thought of uh, this week was, uh, who do you think Jesus' audience is with this? Who's it written to? Who's he speaking this to? Poor people. Poor people. And he's warning them (laughs) about having too much money or going after money. They might have thought he's kind of crazy, but in my time, I sometimes find the people who are most materialistic in their heart are people that don't have something. They're going after. They're going after the next best thing. Some of us who have the things that we want or are hard to satisfy, sometimes, you know, our heart hopefully gets, stops there and doesn't keep going and going and going, and we're not as materialistic maybe as we used to be because we realize that the materialism does not satisfy the biggest needs of our heart. So he's writing to people who couldn't afford much. They live day to day. And he says, watch out for the deceitfulness of riches and your desire for other things. Not about having them, but your desire for other things. Though going after those pleasures will come, out, come in to your heart and choke out the word. So you guard your soil is the big idea here. The heart in Scripture is synonymous with your mind and your understanding for your will for your affections, for your conscience, for the whole person, the entire soul. It's our modus operandi. It's what operates our morals. And they all concur in, they all come into our heart and that's who we are. And Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of having lots of money and the desire for more because you're feeling empty in your heart. Well, if I just upgrade my motorbike, I just upgrade my camper, just upgrade my house, upgrade my car, then. So this is, this is to us. This is the, these are the worries and concerns that you and I have. It is, I loved what Zach had to say last week, especially when he quoted his favorite pastor. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> But we are in a place to serve, and we've sent Marcel off. He needs more than himself and God (laughs) to go do his thing there in Peru. He needs us. That's how God works. It's never up to one person, never. Takes many people. No one person is isolated and alone. No No one person ever carries the weight of the mission. We are giving to a kingdom with our time and our finances. Spend money on the kingdom of this world. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Don't worry about buying all this other stuff for yourself. It won't satisfy. Give to the needs of the kingdom. And there's various examples of that throughout the Old and New Testament. It takes earthly money, folks, and we know this to fulfill kingdom purposes. It took many of us, our budget, our church budget to send Marcel off to Peru. He needed to raise like $4,000 a month. You know, his parents have money, but we're not going <laughs> to... When we were raising support, when we were with Camp Crusade, Sharon is a doctor's uh, daughter, and we actually had people say, well, I'm sure Mr. Duke, Dr. Duke can just pay for you guys to, to go the whole, the whole shot. No, that's not how it works. You need to involve people. We, Marcel needs our heart there with him, and where our money is, our heart is. 
So I think it's a great to be raising support for Marcel, and we are a part of that. It takes m- earthly money to fulfill kingdom purses, p- purposes. Paul made tents. You might know him as a tent maker. What does that mean? Well, he didn't always get enough support from the churches, so he had needed to make a little living on the side, so he made tents. Today would be like, you know, a, a framer of a house. I mean, that's what people lived in was tents. He was an RV maker. He made tents. And he got some money and some hospitality and food from the local churches, but I think his best deal was he got free ship rides to Rome three times. Um, <laughs> I know he's going there to go to, to, go to jail, but like he, he got from Jerusalem to uh, Rome for free. So that was good thinking on his part. So Matthew 6, 19 and 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Another lesson from nature there. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. It is secure there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we see the connection to the soils that Jesus talked about to now this idea here. Watch out what you do with your pleasures and your money. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Mark 4, 19 says it this way in a different translation. What happens when you store up treasures on earth, God gets crowded out by the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and if you're a Seinfeld fan, it's Kavarka, the lure of the animal, the lure of wealth and the desire for nice things so no crop is produced. Remember who the audience is that he's speaking to. Poor people, pretty much. Poor people. So we have strange little alerts out there because we want to be warned about harmful people uh, in our community, so we get stranger alerts. I want to give you a money alert, not a stranger, because we know this fellow all too well. So here's the alert for money. How big is he? What size? Well, one inch in diameter, about a sixteenth of an inch thick, and some have red poppies in the middle. It's also known as, this criminal is also known as Looney, Bill, Moolah, Big Bucks, Chicken Feed. Is that, is that a, maybe not anymore. Well, it's, it's a worth a lot of money, Chicken Feed, so yeah, it's a good one. Cabbage, some people call it cabbage, bread, loot. When traveling in Britain, what is it known as? A pound? Or uh, what's another one? Yeah, and I have this one here. In the U.S., it's known mostly as useless. (laughs) The modus operandi of money is stealth and sabotage, also seduction and choking. It has treason-like characters. This is the character of money. And its current address, it's a wanderer, but sometimes take up residence in human hearts and tries to replace God. And it was last seen taking an unsuspecting person down the road to destruction. This is why Jesus warns us against the love of money. Paul says it too in 1 Timothy 6. 
People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Just go watch some current true documentaries on Netflix or Amazon. I mean, it's just full of people wanting to get rich and their lives become destruction. Think of the Ponzi schemes. It goes on and on and on. We need this money alert, folks. It kills. Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You might know some people in this community that have done that. But money is our friend. Money is good. He's not saying money is wrong. We need money. Money is how we buy and sell things. I can't eat a $20 bill, but I can go to the pizza place and buy a pizza for 20 bucks. We need money. It's how we buy and sell things. Often it's the good things that money can buy that can dull our senses toward God. I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Or these good things can keep us too occupied from spending time with those things that really matter, like going to church. I've talked about that before in my warning to my son Bennett as he bought a motorcycle saying, you know what, guess what? You now got something that will take your attendance from church on a Sunday. Be careful. And now he wants to buy a snowmobile. (laughs) So so now he's going to be way in the winter, right? Like, hey, there's nothing wrong with those things, but watch it. Watch what you're... I had a golf membership at Chilliwack Golf and Country for three years. I had to give it up because it became an idol. I was there every free hour I had. I have no control. Just like when I go to a buffet and it's 20 bucks, I have no control. When you pay 3,000 bucks for all the golf you can get, guess what? I abused it. My heart went after it. It became an idol, I had to, and I gave it up. So now, it's not wrong for you to have a membership at a golf course, but it is for me. It's a lure. It's deceitful to me. Benjamin Franklin, who I actually think some bills in the States are called Benjamins, he said, money never made a person happy yet, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more a person has, the more they want. Instead of it filling a vacuum, it makes one. If it satisfies one desire, it doubles and triples that desire another way. A person's heart inevitably follows its treasure. Any hobby you have, and pretty soon your money follows and you're giving more to your hobby than you do to the kingdom. That might be a little check. Yeah, I'm spending X amount of money on my hobbies, and I give, you know, half that amount to the church. I think that's backwards. Not just to the church, to the kingdom. There's many other things to give to besides a church. That might be one way for you to decide, how how can I make sure money doesn't lure me in? Or the pleasures lure me in. Giving is one of the tangible pictures God has given directly reflect a person's heart condition. We give as part of working against the lure of money and its benefits. We give money to the kingdom because it's an integral part of you and I, our community. We send people into the world to bring the good news of Jesus and to be his heart, feet, and hands. And we do that in the local church too. Tithing is how God taught his children proportional and sacrificial giving. That's the idea. You maybe heard the phrase, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Now, there's mixed interpretations about tithing for us today. I'll say this. Some believe it's the pinnacle of giving. I give 10% of my gross. They always put that in there, not their net. 
but they sense, they seem to have an attitude that I'm free to do whatever I want with the remaining 90%. And I don't think that's what the Bible's getting at. Paul did talk about setting up a portion about, but he talked about cheerful giving, giving more. Others are convinced that tithing should never be practiced under the new covenant, and anyone who thinks this should, uh, should not be bound to 10% up, and they're wrapped up in legalism. Well, I'd say giving 10% is probably better than giving nothing. Um, so don't think that under the new covenant, the tithing doesn't count, so you don't need to give, and you can spend all your money on yourself. I don't think that what it's getting at either. The principle is the same no matter what century of biblical history. Giving is there by God as a lesson to help us keep our hearts pure. And it does a lot of heavenly good as we send out missionaries, have a church budget, reach our city, disciple our kids, disciple you, those sort of things that the budget goes towards. Tithing and gleaning was God's way of looking after the poor and widows in the ministry of the temple the church at the time, if you want to say that. In the New Testament, we now see a missionary enterprise taking off, which really didn't exist just within the Jewish uh, religion, but now there's additional monies needed for sending and preaching and teaching. How terrible it will be for you, Jesus said to the Pharisees. You're very careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you completely forget about justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Jesus does care about the tithe in this instance, but he also points out the heart issue of justice and the love of God are just as important, if not more. It is because of justice and because of the love of God in your heart that you will want to give. That's what happens here. This is a great church, great examples. Our Christmas project doubling what it's ever been to $40,000 because we want we want it justice for people that have been hurt by the flood so we give we're giving to the ukraine right now and to chad mary personally because we want we have the love of god in us and we want to make things right that's why we give he cares about that the accumulation of wealth can be so absorbing of an occupation that sooner or later money enslaves its victims and leads them to despise God. Jesus says this without compromise or limitation. It absolutely is not possible to go after both. No one can serve two masters. Money should come with a warning label. Not only is it we need a money alert, we need a warning label on our money. Number one, this money will not satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, written by one of the richest people ever, Solomon, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Wealth is like seawater. Solomon didn't say this. Wealth is like seawater. So far from quenching one's thirst, it intensifies it. The more you get, the more you want. It's like the lay potato chip, but you can't just have one. Advertising is seen as the science of arresting, arresting the human intellect long enough to get money from it. That's what it does. So, you know, pretty soon you keep watching enough ads about the upgraded motorbike and go to the motorbike show. Man, I, I think I need 100 more cc's, I'm pretty sure. This money will not totally satisfy, or the things you can buy with it will not totally satisfy. This money might make you selfish, That's what Jesus is getting at. The desire for wealth fixes our thoughts on ourselves and others become a means or obstacle in the path of our own enrichment. 
does not need to happen, but it often does. Good character and relationships can be thrown aside for personal gain. And I think some of you men and women in this church have personal examples from your own life or from friends' lives where the pursuit of money just made someone go off the deep end and threw aside relationships, even family. Number three, this money can bring fear, anxiety, and even death. The more you have, the more you have to lose, and the more haunted you are by the possibility, by the possibility of great loss. After big stock market crash, there's more murder, suicide, stress-related illnesses, and breakups. God is not against stable financial planning and investing, but the warning is to not put your life on the market or in the market. When it leaves and forsakes you, what will you have left? Your world will come to an end, as you know it, if that's what your kingdom is. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Did you know that was the context of that verse? I mean, that's some people's favorite verse. God will never leave me or forsake you. Beautiful truth. But the context is about the love of money. Interesting. To be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Okay, a couple of realities of Christian giving. And we're going to take the time. Maybe, uh, Zach, you want to text Jen and tell her we'll be another, probably with a song and communion, another 12 minutes. Thanks. Hey, I'm out of here after a while. You know, I'm out here for three more weeks, so I want to get it all done. Number one, it is an expression of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. I want to tell you, this Paul writing, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though we've been going, they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes. For their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord, first thing, and then secondly, to do whatever direction God told them to give. Now what this was, was churches up in Turkey, mostly Gentiles, giving to the famine that was going on in the Holy Land around Jerusalem, and they were giving to Jewish people. Gentiles giving food to people in fa- Jewish in famine. Now Dave said it was hard for him to take you know, to, to be helped. <laughs> How hard it was for a Jewish person to be fed by a Gentile. That's a miracle of God in the church. Amen. The Apostle Paul does not begin by referring to the generosity of the churches of Macedonia in northern Greece. He refers instead to the generosity of God, to the grace which God has given to the Macedonian churches. It started with God in the hearts of people. Paul didn't have to go up to them and give them a sermon, maybe like I'm giving, you might think, and say, you know what, you all need to give. Come on, come on. And so like, hey, here's the need. Boom, money came. Here's the need in our church. 
Boom, money comes. There's our need in the Fraser Valley that just got flooded out. Boom, money comes. Here's the need in Ukraine. Boom, money comes. Why? Because the generosity of God is in your heart. You've experienced the generosity of God, and so you can't help out of your own free will to give. So if you do not give, it might be because you have, because you have not experienced the generosity of God. Number two, it's proportionate giving. Whatever they were able to give, they were eager to give. doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the poor widow just gave everything she had. It was a few pennies, but that was a big deal. She gave from her heart. It wasn't much, but she gave from her heart. God wants you to give what you have. There needs to be some equality here. Right now you have plenty, so you give, and there will be a time when you will have more and you can share with the other person. Everyone's needs will be met. This is how it works. Sharon and I were on staff with Camp Crusade for Christ. In the 1990s, we made $35,000 a year raising four kids. That wasn't easy. But God's people helped us. Extra checks, extra support, paying for holidays, giving us a deal in a car, paying for our kids swimming, stuff like that. But now we, you know, Sharon now works, makes more than I do. <laughs> and so we have more, we can give more. You know, when we were making $35,000 a year, we weren't given 10%. We were barely able to, to give anything. And if we did, it was off of a credit card. That's where we were at. And that's where some of you are at. And that's okay. I don't want you to give to the church or the kingdom of God and, and go more and more in debt. There's a time when you can give. And if you have an income, it's important that you give. To keep the lure of wealth out of your heart. It's proportionate giving. Do you think you're wealthy? Do you think you're poor? Students, when you go to Mexico to build a house, what do those people think of you? Do they see you as wealthy or poor? The fact that you flew down there makes you wealthy. The fact that you and I can get on a plane makes us wealthy, that we own a car. Go give giving. But we need to think of ourselves as wealthy and relate to how the world is. My Santa Fe a year ago was about 80 bucks to fill up. Now it's about 125 bucks to fill up. The inflation rate is an all-time high. Housing costs in our area are 40% more than they were last year at this time. It's re absolutely ridiculous. Milk and basic food products are double the price. There's a problem. We look at our monthly cash flow, which is money in and money out, and the money in is shrinking and the money going out increases. What do we do? Do we stop giving to the church? Some of you might need to, 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 pay, to feed your kids. <laughs> but sometimes we just got to look at the stuff that's going out and, okay, one less holiday this year, you know, we're doing one less this or one less that or we're postponing this. That's just what we have to do. 
buy half the amount of clothes we think we need. That kind of stuff. We've got to balance that out because God still wants us to give to kingdom stuff. It's important. We have needs in the church. We've got a projector that's broken. I guess we could keep photocopying 100 copies every week. But we'd like to have a projector. We don't have it in the budget right now. If you got $10,000, $15,000, kicking around, not sure what to do with it, our budget could use it. A projector. We need a projector. That's how it works. Some give more, some give less. It's about a sense of sacrifice. Okay, it's more than 12 minutes, actually, Zach. <clears throat> so, how do you choose to give? I want you to think about that. You got this cash in, cash out, and, and sometimes you decide at the end of the month, well, I spent it all. I did this trip, and I did that, and I bought that, and uh, there's no money to give. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. Even give five bucks a week. Give. Give of your heart somewhere. And if you're given 2% of your income, maybe you th- I'm going to try three and trust God with that. And what happens many times is those things that you thought you needed to buy and live with, the, 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 go away. <laughs> Always that hymn go that the, the, the things of earth grow strangely dim. When you start getting involved in kingdom work, the things of earth that Jesus is talking about, those pleasures, grow strangely dim. Is where your treasures are is also. So, how do you give? Belief in the mission. We give to stuff we believe in. And I hope you believe in the local church. Number two, we give regarding to the leadership. We've had people not give to this church because they do it in a kind of blackmailing, boycott way. And they've actually told me that. I don't like what you're doing, Gary. I didn't like, agree with this decision, so I'm not giving anymore. Okay, go find a church that is perfect and uh, start giving to that one. And they did. (laughs) Number three, we look for value when we buy things, correct? Fiscal responsibility. Bang for the buck. It's not always the best way to give to the kingdom work because your bang for the buck doesn't show up sometimes until... A long time later. Do you not grow weary in doing good? At the right time, you will reap a harvest. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Right now, you see nothing, but it's coming. So be careful with that. Like, oh, this, this is more valuable. I'm going to give here. The local church is what God has chosen to bring the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. It's the local church. It has to function. A generous person wants to make our world a better place, to be part of something that changes lives and is bigger than ourselves. This will involve volunteering time. When I talk of generosity and giving, I talk about volunteering time too, not just money and skill to help out. On any any given week, I added these numbers up pre-COVID. Any given seven days of the church, we have about, we had about two, and we, we will again, we're almost there, about 280 hours of volunteer hours. Lydia, I said it wrong again. I used the word hours twice, just like in the video. We have about 280 volunteer hours. There we go. 280 volunteer hours. That's a lot. 
And if we had to pay everybody, you know, minimum wage, 15 bucks an hour, we'd need to triple our budget. So I thank you for your volunteer hours. And as Dave said, there's a place for you. As we get out of COVID, we got more ministry opportunities for you to volunteer because that keeps your heart in the church too when you're involved in it. A generous person wants to make the world a better place. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you have material possession, and see a person in need and you do nothing, how can the love of God be in you? Lying down our lives is not normally what we have to do. Chad is, and Mary and Tatiana are possibly doing that. But we can be a part of what they're doing by sacrificing for people ourselves. Let us not love with just words, but with actions and in truth. So give. Under the pressure of the Holy Spirit. Not from my pressure or anything else, but the pressure of the Holy Spirit. It takes a transformed mind and heart to seek after the things of God. Chad and Mary are in the Ukraine right now. They're doing a lot of interviews, and many people think it's illogical for them to stay there. They're giving of their time and their gifts and potentially their health and their life. But this is the way of Jesus. I lay down my life, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. This is how God gets his mission accomplished. Give, give, give. I've come to seek and to save the lost, people like sheep without a shepherd. As Jesus sent me to do this, as God sent me to do this, I'm sending you to do this. And it takes money. It takes a church. This is how God gets his mission accomplished. And we can go to the nations. We can go to Peru. We can go to different countries and look after people, bring the gospel to them. This is true religion, James says, looking after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. The generosity of the whole person. Generous giving can seem hazardous, especially to those who have little, but Paul insists that all of our resources ultimately come from God and he is able. The mission is worth the sacrifice. You're not ultimately giving to Broadway, you are giving to God. This is his local church, and he places people here to teach and lead and equip and teach to fulfill the mission God has for us. As a community, we serve, we give, we look out for each other. 